you so thankful for that his goodness runs after us when we find ourselves where we ought not to be his goodness comes and finds us out amen thank the Lord he called us he chose us before the foundation of the world amen we got a blessed assurance when we find ourselves hidden in Jesus Christ what a rest what a joy amen what a peace just to be a Christian Amen. I want to welcome you again to the house of the Lord tonight. It's good to have you all here. Amen. Amen. Let's just take our Bibles together. Thank you. The musicians, God bless you. Amen. Turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. I was, we were having a little Bible study in my my dad said, he said, let's turn to a scripture. It's all familiar to us. And I was sitting next to my brother, and we started laughing, and we both say that all the time. Let's, it's a familiar text to us. Let's go to this chapter. And I said, it's strange. It must be habit, because we'll say, let's go to a familiar text, and we'll turn to the book of Obadiah or something. And everyone's going, I, I don't know if I've ever read that. <laughs> but it's just habit. You know, we like to say that. And the Bible is familiar to the believer, Regardless of whether you've really read it recently or not, you know it's something in there that's real. Amen. And Isaiah 53 really is one of the most familiar texts in the Bible, I believe. But it says this in verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. If you have a need on your heart and you want to just raise your hand and say, remember me in prayer, just raise that to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just humbly gather together and knowing the end time is drawing so close and so near. But Lord, we have this blessed assurance, Lord, that you love us, Lord, and your goodness, Lord Jesus, is more real each and every day the keeping power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that cleanses us and washes us from all sin. Your Holy Ghost, Lord, that just 
It's everything to us, Lord. It's life, O oh God, that just pulsates in our heart, Lord, and in our soul. Gives us understanding in the Word, Lord. Helps us to see and believe and to understand the things that we read. Father, I pray tonight you just come by our way. Help me, Lord, just to get myself aside, Lord. I thank you so much for the, the singing, Lord, the, the specials. They were so fitting to the service that you laid on my heart, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you, you've given us your mind tonight. We ask that you just come and make it real to each and every heart now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord have blessing to the word. You may have your comfortable seats. Amen. I just want to start here real simple, and I, I apologize to the young people, I will, because this really is the continuation of the youth service that we took uh, last Friday night, and I just didn't really get much of it out because there's so much in the atonement. But I want to speak a little bit more and actually go into and tie it together with uh, the parts I took on our fight. We'll call this our fight part three. And uh, the subtitle of the atonement in action. And take this for a text. And to whom, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And this is, we know that this, this chapter in Isaiah 53 speaks of the atonement. And it speaks, it's, it's prophetic, it's pointing forward to Christ. But also, he's, he's in this first statement, he begins to look. And Isaiah isn't just talking about prophetically. He's talking also in past tense, saying, who's believed our report? Who's, who's believed the report of all the prophets that's gone on? And he could look back in history and he could look at Enoch. Who believed what Enoch was preaching? Who could understand what Enoch was saying? And who believed Noah when Noah preached for 120 years from the same text day in and day out? Only eight souls were saved. Who believed Moses when even the people that were following around the wilderness turned against him many a times? And who believed all these different prophets of Abraham and of, of Elijah when Elijah went and he felt he was the only one. No one's believing what I'm preaching, but there were still 7,000. But who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And he would even take it in himself, and Isaiah perhaps could feel this in his own ministry. Who's believing what I'm talking about? Who's really understanding the things that I'm saying? Who's really understanding what's going on? And Jeremiah in the future tense could say the same thing. Who's believed my report? I'm preaching of something to come. He's preaching of there's going to be a captivity, but he's preaching there's going to be seven years. There's going to be redemption, but it's pointing to something greater. But who's believed our report? Who's really picked this up and who's really saying, I'm sticking, I understand what's saying, what's being said. I'm understanding the message for our day, but God always has a little elect seed that will believe the report of the Lord in their day. Even in Elijah, as I said, when he felt alone, God said, no, there's still 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. They may not be on the front page of the news. They may not be what everyone's talking about, but there is still some who believe the report of the Lord. And now we go on, and in John chapter 12, if you just keep your Bibles with me as we just begin to get into this, in John chapter 12, we would hear, and we would talk about where Jesus would go back into Nazareth. I didn't put the scripture in my notes. i got to turn to it. John chapter 12. And in verse 37 would say, but though he had done so many Miracles before them. They believed not on him. 
That the, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. So here comes the prophetic, what, what Isaiah was talking about, who has believed our report. This now is speaking, saying that it might be fulfilled. The Lord who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory, and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. They say, listen, it had to be fulfilled even in the prophetic uh, aspect, in the prophetic venue of the scripture where it wasn't just past tense who's believed, but it's also future tense. Saying, who will believe even when God himself would come onto earth and his son Jesus Christ? Many people did not believe. And even those, because it says there was those among the chief rulers that did. They did believe this really is somebody. We know that there was one Nicodemus, there was another Josephus, or the, I have the name on Joseph. Joseph that was there, he gave him his grave, and the different ones, that they were rich men and wealthy men, and they believed, but because of fear. Because they were scared of what someone else might say. They were scared to take a step out and step out in faith and to claim what, what really God was there to offer them. Because God had hardened their hearts in that way. It was for a purpose. Even the Son of Man was rejected. And we know in Hebrews chapter 2, if you go over to Hebrews chapter 2, you would find there in verse 10, or verse 10, it would say, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. There's always something that goes with it. When there's unbelief, when you have a message and there's a message that goes forth and there's those that refuse to believe it, there's always suffering. When you believe on Christ, when you take the way with the Lord's despised few, as we say, almost as, as poetic, when you take it that way, there's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be trials. There's always going to be rejection. And he would, he would experience this, but it was for a purpose, so that it would make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. If we jump all the way down to verse 18, and this just to save us time, he says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he was able to secure them that are tempted. Because he knows there's going to be others coming after him. There's going to be others coming that are not going to be accepted that are going to have to suffer, suffer and be tempted. If you just stay with me for a minute to Romans chapter 10. We just try and lay in the word a little bit. Romans chapter 10. In verse 13 would say, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. That sounds wonderful. But you got to read the next verse now. It says, How then shall... They call on him in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? 
They say, that's all it takes. If you just call on the Lord, you shall be saved. But how do they know who and how to call on him unless someone will come and teach them? And you can have the greatest of teachers. And it says, as it is written, how beautiful of the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring tidings of good, of good, th- good, glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Oh my. So even in all of that, there's still somebody. There's still people that won't believe. There's still people that won't obey. No matter how much you can have the best of preachers, as they had fantastic preachers back in the days of, of, of the anointing, of the man anointing under John Wesley, under Charles Spurgeon, under these kinds of men that came out with great ministries. Still, there was people that couldn't get it. Then you came out with signs and wonders, the Pentecost, the restoration of the gifts, and you came out, and then Brother Branham came forth, and he began to preach, and there was great anointing, there was great signs, there was great wonders, there was healings taking place, there was vindication, and still, so why would it be any different today? But it says, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You go to one more place with me, 1 Peter chapter 4. God's always sent man out to preach the gospel. He's always had somebody to preach. He's always had somebody to lay the word in. He's always had somebody that could have understanding by the Holy Ghost and begin to teach others and bring them to a place of understanding, bring them to repentance, bring them to Christ. He always had someone that could do that, but there was always those who just couldn't obey. Who hath believed our report? It says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, would write, Behold, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing has happened unto you. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Let's just be honest with one another. Sometimes we feel that way. I, I, I witnessed to that person and I did the best job anyone could have ever done. And they just turned me down. I explained to them perfectly the salvation. I, I, I just said what I felt on my heart. Maybe it wasn't even the best explanation, but I felt I said the right thing, and they just turned me down like that. How could they do that? How could that possibly be? Someone come and someone sit in a service, experience the presence of God, and walk out of there and say, it's nothing to it. Who's believed our report? But it would go on to say, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of God and the... For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So no matter what the disobedient children are doing, on your part, you keep it glorifying Christ. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. 
Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Oh my. I've lived so righteously. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. And herein lies our humanity. Where it says this, Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit your keeping of your soul. A committing of something doesn't mean you can have it for a little bit. And I'm going to take it back when it's convenient. And I'm going to let you have a little more when it feels good. But when it's not, it kind of starts to hurt, I'm going to take it back a little bit because I think I could do a little better. No, commit the keeping of your souls to him in well-doing because the correction starts in the house of God. So whether it's a good service that's lifting us up, or whether it's a service that feels like a wire brush down the throat, whatever it is, Lord, I'm committed to you. Whatever it takes, whatever it has to be, I'm willing to sit here and accept it and say, Lord, like, be it unto me according to thy word. It wasn't easy for Mary to say those words because here was a woman. She could have thought of all the things. She could have thought, don't you know I'll be rejected? Don't you know I'll be despised? Don't you know the things they'll say about me? Not just behind my back, but to my face. Don't you understand the things I'm going through? But you had to recognize and say, Lord, whatever it takes, if I'm that one, be it unto me according to thy word. If I'm the only one that's willing to accept the fullness of the revelation of God, if I'm the only one that's going to go in a rapture, be it unto me. If I'm the only one that's going to receive a body change, be it unto me, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever kind of molding I have to go through, whatever kind of rejection I have to face, no matter how many people I got to tell that Jesus is coming again and they scoff at me and they scorn at me and they turn me away and they don't want anything to do with me and how many friends I lose and how many turn their back on the message, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Hallelujah. It doesn't come by just attending and being in a presence. It doesn't come because you, you, you call yourself a Christian. It doesn't come in any other way. You've got to sit. You've got to listen. You've got to accept. There's got to be something in you to receive what's being spoken. And it is able to build up faith. And it gives you a revelation because revelation is the word mixed with faith. Because God in his timing and to whom he will recognizes the faith of an individual in the word and then gives you the revelation of that word. So he takes your faith and mixes it in with the word and he gives you what the revelation is according to his will, not according to our time. According to his time. And he so often does this by trial and tribulation. Well, I got really quiet. But that's the best God could ever give you. We've been sharing a quote around with a couple of few of the young brothers here, and it's been so good that I thought I'd include it tonight. 
It says that we ask for comfort and peace. How many ask for that? I do. I'm being honest. I ask for it all the time. Lord, give me some comfort. Lord, comfort so-and-so. It would be a peace of mind. Be a peace of mind for so-and-so. Sometimes we don't realize what we're praying for. Because he says this, God gives us the best he could give us. Trials and tribulations. That's better than comfort and peace. Our comfort is beyond the river. Now that's from the message I know. I love that. I know. I know in whom I have believed. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that he is faithful and true. Hallelujah. I know. I know. I know I hope so. This is the kind of knowledge that Peter was speaking about when Peter began to talk about and say, at your faith virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge. He wasn't jumping on faith on the tree of life and then all of a sudden going, well, and you're going to need some of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't what he was talking about. So that with the knowledge of God, you've got to be something in you that your faith becomes anchored down where it's not just a, a hope so, but it's I know that my Redeemer, I know that everything in the Word of God is true and it will come to pass. I know these things. And to know something, it precludes all doubt. So if you really know something and someone comes and says, well, have you thought about this? It doesn't matter. I know. I know that even though he gives me trials and tribulations, believe it or not, it's for my peace and comfort. Because think it not strange when the fiery trial, which is to try you, comes upon you. And it comes so swiftly and it comes in such a way, you think, Lord, I was praying for comfort. I wanted patience the easy way. What's that exactly? <laughs> Let me say it this way, and I'm going to say it in a little bit of a riddle, so that way you can hopefully understand it. I don't mean to speak in riddles, but I need to speak in a way that is plain, yet not overly plain. That when God imparts revelation, when God imparts the revelation of his seed word to his bride, it hurts for a time. But your mourning shall be turned to joy at the conception by the manifestation of that revelation. Let me say it that way again. When God imparts revelation of his seed word to his bride, it hurts for a period of time. It's hard to take sometimes. It's hard to go through the trial to get the revelation, to get what you're seeking, to get more of God. And it's a painful thing, but to God, it's a pleasurable thing. And it is, as the scripture says in Revelation chapter 10, it is sweet in your mouth and bitter in your belly. Take the book, eat the book, right? It is sweet in your mouth. The word of God, when it first comes, it's so sweet, but then when it begins to digest, it hurts. It's bitter. You're going through a trial. You're going through something. But he says, but you must prophesy again. And there comes a sweetness afterwards. 
In Isaiah 51, in verse 11, we write it this way. It says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. There's something coming in a believer in every one of us. There comes a stages, there comes a cycle, it comes in certain ways where there's a time for mourning and there's a time for joy. And there's a time that when gladness and joy comes, the mourning just flees away. All of those things that once seemed so hard don't seem so hard anymore. We often have visions of grandeur. We want the revelation of God to be some great thing. We want the third pole to be some great thing. It is, but not in the carnal. I want to just point out something really quick before we move on. There was five manifestations of the third pole in the ministry of Brother Branham. All five of them was God's initiative. All five of them were not life-threatening. He had a need for squirrels twice. But he wasn't starving. You with me? He got paid money. There was superstore. Not exactly superstore, but there were supermarkets. It wasn't that it was he's starving, hungry, he's out there dying in the wilderness and he needs squirrels. No, but he had a need. He had a desire. God provided a way for him to take care of his family and he was just walking in the will of God. And he was fellowshipping with God. He was found in Christ. He was under the atonement. He was right there with the Lord, just wanting to fellowship with him and God said, you need squirrels. It was just a relationship. It was just a fellowship between Christ and his prophet. And it was just there. It wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't some great bang. There wasn't a huge crowd to watch. And yet this was the great manifestation. And he spoke squirrels into existence. Another time he was just sitting there in the house of a poor old sister just sharing a testimony. Nobody's dying. But she said the right thing. That's nothing but the truth. It wasn't that there was, oh, we need a miracle. God, we're holding off for something. No, but it's just, Lord, just a fellowship. Just a love affair between Christ and his bride. And she began to say, oh, that's nothing but the truth. I believe that. Whatever you say. And it was such a spiritual thing that all of the natural things she needed faded away. That to her, she was looking to a supernatural God and said, I need salvation. I don't need all of the money. I don't need the healing. I don't need this. I I need salvation. I need something where my boys will know God. That was the great manifestation. Another time was the calming of the storm. That was life-threatening. He would have made it back to camp. He was headed back to camp when the snowstorm came, and he said, I better get going now because I know I'll make it right now. But it was God that initiated it and said, put his hand on his shoulder and said, turn around. And he didn't want to do that. Why? Because he said, if I go back up there, I might die up there. Is this my time? Yeah. 
But it was the Lord turning him around because there was a relationship there. There was nobody else there. When he got back to camp, the other guys were like, this is crazy. What did you do? The storm just stopped. It just went. You said to get back to camp, and now I wish I was still out there in the tree hunting for deer because it's not as bad as you said it would be. They didn't understand what was going on. If you listen to some of the testimonies, some of the brothers today, they were cutting up so much, Brother Branham decided not even really to tell them at the time because they were joking around and cutting up, but that was the great manifestation of God. Another time with Sister Mita, she had a tumor. It wasn't malignant, but they wanted to operate. It was growing and growing, but it wasn't cancerous at the time, and she was, they were willing to operate. They thought the operation could be successful, but Brother Branham had a need. He was praying, Lord, would you just come on the scene? There was something going on that it was a relationship between God and his bride, and there was a relationship there that went beyond a superficial outside. It was a daily walk. It wasn't a trust in the doctors. It wasn't a trust in this. It wasn't a trust in that. It was, Lord, what would you have? What do you have today? What, 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 what can I do? Lord, is there anything you can have for me? I know that she has this because of what she said and all of these things, but Lord, would you intervene? And God came on the scene. said, whatever you say. Once again, there it was. We got visions of grandeur, what it's going to be. We think we're going to have to speak this into existence. It's going to be that, and there's going to be that, and there's going to be this. No. Let me read this. It says, knowledge. We say it this way. Knowledge is a perversion of revelation. The knowledge of the world, because Satan's a perverter. Then would take it in the message of God of this evil age. He say, knowledge and civilization, on this hand, and true Christianity has nothing in common. Civilization and true Christianity has not one thing in common. Civilization is by knowledge. We all know that, and knowledge is from Eden, proved it. If you want to go and read it, it's called this evil age, 1965. It says that by what he preached, the serpent preached in Eden, then knowledge caused death. Is that right? What caused death in the Garden of Eden? Knowledge. But it can't be of God, so it's of the devil. He says, woo, that's a good one. Knowledge, science, education is the great hindrance, the greatest hindrance that God ever had. It's of the devil. Now, he also says the same message, revelation or faith in his word makes no claims of knowledge. The real, true Christian. <laughs> I know I got two camps. Some are sitting over in this camp. Hey, man, Brother Andrew. And some are sitting there going to saying, now balance it. Because <laughs> we like that, don't we? We've got to find balance. Stay in the middle of the road, right? we we got knowledge of the devil. Christianity and knowledge and civilization has nothing, not one thing in common. So how, how do we go about balancing this? It's actually quite simple. It's called faith. Amen. And faith in the word of God has no claims of knowledge. 
So we find that the devil goes over on this end and he tries to say, I've got everything you need on the tree of knowledge. I've got everything you need over here on knowledge. Science is going to find the answer. And to this day, they're still trying to figure out how to make a perfect world without God. How to get rid of sickness and everything they can to do it without God. Because if they have to turn to God, they got to get off that tree and they got to step over the tree of life. But they'll never find a way of doing that. But when you're over here on this tree in Revelation, you're not trying to pick the fruit of that tree. Well, I like that. You know, too often we, we try and put a cap on God. <laughs> try to say, well, listen, if it's a cold, I got faith for that. I'll pray for that. Anything worse, we go to the doctor. Okay. Revelation has no claims of knowledge. Well, I did my research. I know that this is what it is. I got friends that work here or work there, and they tell me. Revelation has no claims of knowledge. Did you seek the face of God? Say, Lord, what what would you have in this situation? Do I just lean over on this tree and I just walk up this tree and I just try and find all the knowledge I can and I try and do all the research? Because now we're living in the information age, right? I mean, we can just write there on our tablet, write there on our phone, write there on our computer. We can search out all the things until we've got ourselves so mixed up. And we got our argument all figured out, whatever it is. I don't care what your argument is about what it is about. We, got, we can get ourselves so built up on that. And I know all the experts. I found a better expert. It's called Revelation has no claims on knowledge. So, well, Brother Andrew, how are you going to prove? I can't. <laughs> Didn't think I'd go here, but now I'm here. How are you going to prove you're born again? That's where denominations gone off on their tangent. Where they want to try and pick up and say, you got to have a proof. you got to speak in tongues. That proves you're born again. Okay. It's not scriptural. But then they want to take up on this. Well, you got to prove it this way. you got to prove you're saved. By his grace, I'm saved. I don't have to prove that. I know that I'm born again. I know by faith that I'm born again. I can't prove to you and put something tangible other than I can show you this was my life before and this is my life now and that's all the proof I've got. I can't pick something out of my heart and show you this is the Holy Spirit. It's called faith. (laughs) I'm here now, so I'll do it. Because it's interesting. It's done to me in the Bible study, so I'll do it to all you here. You all believe you're born again? How many want to go in the rapture? How many can prove to me you're going to go in the rapture? I can't prove to you, but I know I am. It precludes all doubt. But I know in whom I have believed it. I know what he's showing me in the word. I know the revelation that I have. I know that I'm elected. I've made my calling and my election sure. How did I make it sure? Not by receiving a book or a tablet or a baptism or a certificate or this or that. No, but by faith that's dropped down in my heart. I know in whom I have believed. Amen. 
I don't have to make a claim by knowledge. Brother Branham would say this in the seventh seal, actually. You get down to the end of the seventh seal. He'd say, does everybody believe? They'll say, amen. He says, remember when I first started, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Has he revealed to you his mercy and his goodness? He says, just remember and love him with all your heart. That's what he begins to talk about when he gets right down to the end of the seventh seal message. And he begins to, he's gone through all of the the dreams and all of the visions and everything that's happened and and the different things he speaks. So he says, this is what it comes to. Has he revealed himself to you? It's personal. How many believed Enoch? Nowhere in the Bible does it record Enoch and his followers. But one man was raptured. And it was real to him, and it didn't matter. To him, the arm of the Lord was revealed. To him, God revealed his mercy, his goodness, and his divine power to him. It didn't matter what anybody else said. He believed it. Hallelujah. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 9. Say it this way. He says, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake us as in the ancient days. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generation of olds. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab? Oh my. Sister, whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now we begin to see some of the things. What's the arm of the Lord done? Is it not you? Art, now you, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? I want to just stop you for a minute. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord hath cut out Rahab. It was the mercy of God that provided an atonement for Rahab. It wasn't, Rahab, you do this for us and we'll do that for you. It wasn't by happen chance that they came into the harlot's house. It wasn't that she just happened to have a scarlet rope there. It wasn't that it just happened to be that she would have a welcoming spirit and she would be able to, to tell them exactly what she would be able to hide them on the rooftop. It wasn't just happened to be that she didn't have a clay tile, but she had a straw roof. That she could actually hide the man on the bales on the roof. It wasn't just happened to be this way. It didn't just happen. God predestinated it. There was God had a plan in all of it. He knew exactly what was going on. And he knew that Rahab would be there. And it was the mercy of God that provided an atonement for Rahab that she was a sinner. She was a harlot. She wasn't of the children of Israel. But she believed. Amen. She believed the report. There was a lot of doubt in the city. It was. They thought they're Big walls, double thick, double high, 
was going to save them. They thought, we got this. We got an army. We could run chariot races around our walls. We could do all these things. We've got the greatest city. We're going to stop this army right here before they go any further. And they felt safe, but there was one little woman that believed the report that you heard, that believed that this God could part the Red Sea, that believed that this God could bring water from the rock, that believed that this God could rain manna from heaven, that believed in this God that had given them victory after victory after victory, and she believed it, so God revealed his arm to her. Because she believed it was God in simplicity. Once again, it wasn't some grandeur thing. It was just a scarlet rope. Right is redemption. It's safety. And he just, they just said, just take this rope that you let us down by and bind it in the window. Brother Brandon would say, anyone knows anything about the Bible knows that the harlot was predestinated. Amen. Sure, she was. She, she perished not with them who believed not. That's right. But she believed the message of the hour. God gave her a sign. By his messengers, take a scarlet red streak and tie it in your window. Remember, if you, if you don't tie that streak there or leave it there, what we've escaped by, we're not responsible for our oath. Catch that. They said, you, you, we, we make you a promise, but this has got to be here. This is the oath. This is the thing. If, if this sign isn't here, our oath is null and void. If this isn't here. And he would say, they'd say it that way. and say, but if you're out from under it, we're not responsible. But Rahab, every predestinated seed in here. Oh, my. You go get out there. Go, go hunting them. Get your daddy. Get your mother. For we've just come out from under the atonement down in Egypt and everything that we didn't have under that token perished. Oh my. Well, I'm elected, so I'm in. It's easy. Oh, if you really were, you'd be in there. It wasn't about, well, you know, Rahab said, I got the scarlet rope tied here, so I'm just going to go to the market. I'm predestinated. It's okay. She had to be in there. Everyone that she thought, everyone that she hunted out, it couldn't be, oh, I'll just go out for a bit. I'll just go out for a while. It really doesn't matter. You got to be in here. You got to be under the atonement. Or they, or, or they were free from their oath of anyone that was outside from that atonement. They were free of it. Rahab, they said, I'm giving you a sign. It's a token. And I say in the name of the Lord, as to say, if you will put that, I'm acquainted with that. I'm acquainted with the messenger. I'm acquainted with the wrath, the angel of wrath, Joshua. He's God's destroying messenger. I'm acquainted with him. And he knows that there has to be a token sign. And you hanged that there. And I'll assure you, I take an oath. And God took an oath too. That, that what was under from it would perish and all that was under it would live. All that was out from under it would perish. God took the oath. It wasn't just two spies. It was God taking the oath saying, I'll make sure. 
Whoever's under this, and he says, I'm acquainted. They could make it based on their acquaintance with the, with the destruction angel. Based on their acquaintance, they knew that Joshua would honor it. They knew that God would honor it. Oh, my. The one that made the oath of our atonement is very well acquainted with the God of judgment. He's very well acquainted with the Scripture. He's very well acquainted with the Word. It is Him. God had respects to that atonement. He's still with me. God had respects to that atonement. God had respects to that scarlet thread. God had respects to it that it wasn't. He, he was looking for that in particular. In Isaiah 53, if you still have your Bibles open, you can turn over to Isaiah 53 and verse 10 would write it this way. It says, for it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And then when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. God took an oath by an atonement. Why is it our fight, as I preached a while ago, our fight to tear down the high places? To make sure we aren't building high places. To make sure we aren't just tearing down the idols and tearing down the, the, the idol worship, but rather take down the high places. Why? Because those things don't have a place under the atonement. Anything and anyone caught outside the atonement is out from under the protection of the oath of God. That's why Brother Branham would make statements like the only way the devil can get to you is if you step out from behind the word. You've got to step out from behind the atonement before he can ever punch you. But he lures us out. He's had a few thousand years of experience. He's good at luring us out. He's out thinking, I got this. We have to commit our souls to the keeping of God as our creator. Lord, you know best. You made me. Like we heard from Brother, Brother Andre Petit this, is, this isn't just my problem, Lord. I'm your child. This is your problem. It's not just me here, Lord. It's you. I'm committing my soul completely to you. I want a relationship with God. I don't want to have just a relationship with myself and, and a little bit of power, a little bit of authority. I just want a little bit of the, the goodness, a little bit of the blessings. Just give me a little more, Lord, because I, I want to kind of walk my own way. He's good at luring us out. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 says it this way, And when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after that he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. We like to wipe that first sentence out, don't we? And so he obtained the promise. Amen! 
I'm the 11th hour worker. It's going to be. No, it says after he had patiently endured. Year after year after year of telling people, we're going to have a baby. No, you're not. You're old and your wife is old and this and that and this and that and this and that. So many years. Oh my, you tell them now, we received a prophet. Malachi 4 has been fulfilled. Revelations 10.7. In the William Branham, whoa, he passed away in 1965. The word was real in 1963. And they go, what are you still doing here then? After we have patiently endured. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Do you me? The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Hallelujah. It's impossible for God to lie. There's a reason there are books that didn't make it in the Bible. There's a reason there's book of Maccabees. There's a reason there's a book of Enoch and all these things that people want to look at and go, why isn't that in the Bible? Why isn't it in the Bible? Because it's impossible for God to lie. He can't have a contradiction. He can't look at it. So when men that are men of God write a book on their own, God doesn't go, mm, I, I should really include that. No, he says, it was written by the Holy Ghost. These men didn't write it on their own. Daniel didn't write it on his own. Moses didn't write it on his own. Paul didn't write it on his own. Paul didn't look at it and say, Corinthians, what's the problem they're going through? I think I got this figured out. I, I, I can fix their problems. No, he didn't write it on his own. It was the Holy Ghost that told him what was going on. There was probably things happening when they were reading the letter of Paul. And they were going, who told them? Who told Paul? Who's the spy? Not me. I didn't say a word. Not me neither. I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. Who told them? Men written, inspired by the Holy Ghost, wrote the scripture because there was something moving in them. Are you sure about that, brother? I'm sure because I had a prophet in my day. That stood there and began to discern people and their problems, even to the point where there's a sister that comes up and he realizes she's lived in adultery. And he does it, he says, You got to make it right with your husband. And he's done the same thing. Who told him? Nobody. God did it. Hallelujah. God cannot lie. We might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. You got to commit it. Both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that which, that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us has entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Now, there was two immutable things. Number one, God cannot lie. Number two, when you make a mistake, you've got a high priest. 
says, I've got you. No matter what you're doing, I've got, I've got you in my hand. No matter how bad it gets and no matter what mistakes you make, I am the high priest. I am Melchizedek. My blood, the atonement still stands. I've gone too far. It's still the peace of God that passes all understanding. There's no way I could be healed from this. Sister Laura, God is still a healer. He made an oath, and the blood of the Lamb shall never lose its power. It will never lose its power. Christ is our atonement that you and you must be found in him at all costs. And you'll suffer for it. Made fun of, rejected, just as he was, and the prophets. But who's believed our report? To those that have believed, he reveals his arm. Let me take it a step farther. We still got a few more minutes. Oh, yeah, we do. He says, Brother Branham says, but you see Moses being the correct prophet of God. He was talking about Moses and Balaam. He talks about Moses as being the correct prophet of God not only had, a, had the fundamental parts. Because we know that Balaam, he was fundamentally right too. He set up seven altars. He burned the right sacrifices. He did all the right things. But he wasn't a word prophet. It says, but, but Moses, being the correct prophet of God, not only had the fundamental parts, but he had the identification of God. See, he was in the line of duty. Exactly what was promised for that age, not for the age of Noah, but for the age that he was walking in. I'll take you to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. They were on their way. Oh, hallelujah. And Israel was identified with their prophet Moses with the message of the age. God characteristics identified in Moses. A pillar of fire was following him. He also had the atonement in action. Not, not, not just speaking of it, but had it in action. So notice he had the brass serpent that was lifted up for the sickness and the diseases of the people. Therefore Moses was practicing divine healing. He had the atonement, the brass serpent symbolizing what God was in the camp. And the people were looking on the brass serpent and being healed. Oh my, so here was some, some very key, let me, let me finish the quote actually first. He also had the smitten rock following him, and that was identi- excuse me, identifying God to keep the waters of life among them, joy and salvation, that they would not perish but had everlasting life. See, it was a type, the smitten rock in the wilderness was a type of Christ being smitten. Then they were traveling in the line of the promise, that was another identification to showing God's characteristics, no matter how fundamental this one, this other one was with the word, he had fundamentalism plus identification. And the characteristics of God among them, God identifying himself, two prophets, both of them prophets, both of them fundamental, but God identified his characteristics in Moses. So catch this for a moment. It wasn't just that he could say, well, look, I've got a brass serpent, but he was practicing. The atonement was in action. 
It was still had power. There was still something happening that the people still had divine healing. The water didn't stop coming from the rock. They had everlasting life. Whenever they needed water, it was there. Oh, my. Whenever they needed healing, it was there. What about you? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I'm going to make it personal. Mom and dad. Head of the home. Fifth gospel. We need parents today that can pray. That children can have confidence in your prayers. We need to be heads of homes. I'm speaking to myself at this point now. We need to have it in a way that I know my children can come to me. And I'm able to pray and touch God because there's a relationship there. That I don't all of a sudden have to go and say, well, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet. Well, Jesus, you know, I know Jesus myself. I don't have to go back into the scriptures and say, oh, Lord, what do I do now? But I have a relationship. And when the time comes, I have a relationship with God, whether it's life-threatening or not. I got a relationship that when there's a need, that there's a God that's able to answer the need. And there's a bomb that's in Gilead. There's an atonement over my house that I know. That I know that I know that when I pray, he answers. We need parents like that. We need mothers like that. That's so you know, children, that when you go to your mother, they can touch God for you. So when daddy gets sick, mom can touch God. When mommy gets sick, dad can touch God. This isn't just something that's far out and some atonement way off and some word way off and it's coming in the future. It's right now. It's the here and now. It's in our homes right now that we can live and walk overcoming by the atonement. Because how do we overcome? We got an accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren and day and night he doesn't take a break. Day and night, he still has access to the throne of God in order to go there and accuse us of everything we've ever done and bring things up over and over and over and over again. And he's constantly doing this. If we're not careful, we help him. He accuses us and then we go on and he says, oh God, forgive me. And he says, what are you talking about or did? I don't remember that. Quit playing the accuser's game. Because you've already overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Because they love not their lives unto death. That whatever it comes to, no matter the rejection, no matter how bad it gets, I love the Lord. Oh my. That we can point back to the atonement on Calvary. Oh my, not say, well, it's good and well for the apostles. It was good for Peter. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for this. It was good for that one. Listen, I was that Philippian jailer. I figured it wasn't worth it all. I failed at everything. I might as well just give up. But there was a God that came by the way. I might as well just end it all. But there's a God that says, relax. There's still something to live for. You and your house can still be saved. 
You might look at it and say, well, I identify with the thief hanging by his side. The one on the right side that just, he deserved death. But I looked at him and said, remember me. I'm not a very spiritual person, Brother Andrew. I can't comprehend all the revelations and things. But just remember me, God. The atonement still goes there. What about you? Are your prayers laying hold on the atonement? That's all Rahab could put her trust in. She could have cried and begged for her mom and for her dad, for this one and that one, for her brother and sister, for the general, the high priest. She could have cried and begged and cried and begged, but if they didn't come under the atonement, Sometimes we get that way when we get an invasion of our prayers and our emotions overwhelm us and we just start to babble and cry and cry and cry. And sometimes there's a need for that because we need to let off the pressure sometimes. But what are we anchored in? It's in the atonement so we're claiming and we're laying claims on the promises of Jesus Christ. On the promises of the Lord. That's what our prayers are based upon. We don't just pray for someone else. Remember little Betty Lou, poor girl. Lord have mercy. What is the Lord? You said. Now you got something. You said. God took an oath by his word, and he's obligated to fulfill his word. Say it this way, divine healing is still moving in our midst. Oh my, we could testify to that. Divine healing is still moving in our midst. I know of it myself. There's many of you that could stand up and give testimony after testimony. The peace of God, that atonement is still just as real. That I know he was bruised for my iniquity. I know that I'm guilty, but something has taken that guilt away. Why? Because I know the atonement is still active. It's still in action in my life, in this church, in my home today. That I'm not trusting in just a preacher or a man or something else. I'm not even trusting in the words of a a prophet. I'm trusting in the message he had. Because it wasn't his words, it was the words of God. It was the word of God to me. It wasn't just William Branham coming, it was the voice behind the voice. I was going to say, well, because Mayor Brennan made mistakes, I got to walk away. No, because it wasn't him anyways. It was Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And when he preached the seven seal, he talks about a, a dream Brother Junior Jackson had, and he begins to talk about the ministers around there, and Brother Branham comes with like a crowbar, and he rips the top off the mountain. There's a white stone there, and he says, look on this. And he turns and walks away. He had to go off the picture. But they were supposed to look on that. Some of them and a lot of them begin to turn and look to Brother Branham. When's he coming back? Where's he going? He didn't say, follow me. He said, follow this. Look at this. Keep your eyes on Christ. Be found in Christ. Stay in the word of God. Stay under the atonement. Rahab wasn't looking for two messengers saying, when are they coming back? I need those two messengers again. I got some questions. I'm not sure this scarlet rope's going to work. No, she just trusted in what they said do. 
To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Hallelujah. Divine healing is still in our midst. And it ain't based on our emotion. It ain't based on how loud we pray or even how sincere we pray. It's based on your faith in the atonement. But prayer is how you claim it. It's not just, well, I got faith. No, but you got to get on your knees. You got to pray and lay hold of the promise. Say, Lord, I'm not letting go. Lay hold on it till you get what you said you believe in. Put, it puts the atonement into action in your life. As we stand to our feet, which is to say, it is your revelation of the atonement that moves the arm of God. It's your revelation of what he's capable of that puts him into action. Like I said, sometimes we put too many limits on God. We want to say, if, we, if it's just this, we're okay with trusting God. But anything greater than that, we better, you know, we better make sure. It's all there. He didn't say, if it's a nosebleed, come to me. If it's cancer, go to the doctor. We appreciate what the doctors do. But he said, come to me. I'm the healer of all your sicknesses and diseases. Whatever it is, come to me. When you got stomach issues, come to me. Whatever you got, you got nervous condition, come to me. Whatever you're, you're struggling with, come to me. The atonement, just get under that atonement, lay hold on it. Say, Lord, this is what I need. I got faith in this. Doesn't matter what kind of name you put to it. Sometimes I think the devil likes a lot of glory from that. We got to know what it is. We got to know. We got to put a name on it. We got to know if it's Omicron. Or we got to know if it's Mu. Or we got to know if it's Lexicon. Or Rubicon. Or Rincon. Or whatever. We got to know. No. We got to know God. We got to know that we're under the atonement. And whatever it is, Put the atonement into action. His blood is still wet. It's never lost its power. Oh my. Let's bow our heads together. I really didn't know how this service was going to go or how it would end. What I could tell you, though, is God wants to give you revelation more than you want it. Oftentimes, we want it the easy way. Healing's a revelation. It's a revelation that by his stripes, I am already healed. And I'm just going to start walking into that. Your peace, it's a revelation. 
the salvation of your family. It's a revelation that you know as for me and my house. But you got to put the atonement into action. We're not interested in just being fundamental. Just being able to quote all the quotes and put it all together and be able to say, I, I, I know exactly. And I can prove my point. But I'm interested in a life. I'm interested in a relationship as Christ with his bride. And often the imparting of that revelation, it hurts. It's a hard trial. It's hard to go through. It's hard to understand, but when it begins to come forth and bring life, it brings a sweetness. You might have come here tonight just looking for a nice service. Maybe you were looking for a cleaning out. I don't know. But I trust the Lord's spoken to you. Maybe you just want to look to him tonight and say, Lord, I've kind of been stepping out. I've kind of been stepping out on this relationship a little bit. I haven't really been doing my part. You just want to consecrate yourself again tonight and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to step out and try and go after some other love and some other thing. Bring me back under the atonement. Bring me back under the blood. Give me a greater relationship, a greater walk with you, Lord. We sang this song this morning, let me walk with you, Jesus. Don't ever leave me alone. Is that really your heart's cry? So why, what's the burden, Brother Andrew? My, my burden to you is, Lord, I want a bride that's ready for a rapture. We need to get ready and say, Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever kind of rejection we have to face, no matter what kind of fool I look, let me be a fool for Christ. But I want to put my heart completely on him and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Heavenly Father. Lord, I have even pondered this this afternoon. Have I been walking out trying to get my satisfaction some other way. Lord, I would say, renew the joy of my salvation. We know the blood of Jesus never loses its power. Forgive me, Lord. Don't let me walk that way again. Lord, you know every life that's here, every heart that's represented, Lord, it comes right down to it, Lord, where we, you know the, the innermost parts of our being as we open our heart to you. And, but Lord, it's up to us to open the door. It's up to us to open every recess of our minds, every recess of our heart, and really commit our soul to you. So Lord, I'm not going to take it out again. You created me, Lord, so I'm just going to put my heart, my soul, right in your hands tonight and say, Lord, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do to me, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever it takes, Lord. Even Joseph had a hard time with it. 
Mary come in pregnant and he's to take her to wife and he had a hard time with it, Lord, but you gave him a confirmation. Lord Jesus, we're just looking to you tonight. We're not looking for just an easy time. A Christian walk is a fight. It takes faith. But Lord, we're interested, Lord Jesus, in being on the winning side. We're interested in putting our faith in you, Lord. We're sorry, Lord Jesus, if we've taken it out. But Lord Jesus, we want to just look to you and say, oh God, remember me. Remember Sister Laura tonight. Remember her hardship, oh God. Lord Jesus, we could have the emotion, Lord. You know how it just breaks me down to see her like that. But Lord, you said, and this is your problem, Lord Jesus. By your stripes, she's already healed, Lord. So Lord, according to thy word, we just place her according to your will. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Have your way in our lives, oh God. We just le lean on your arm. The simplicity of revelation, Lord Jesus. Pray that you make it real to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What song you play? Healer share. Let's just sing that together. Just wait for the words. Jesus is here. Oh, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And I believe it. Oh, Jesus is here.
again, I reach my 